and welcome to episode 196 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewer Podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. A little bit of a special episode this week. James is out doing other more important things, but in his stead, um, we have from uh, reporting as eligible in, as we've established, Urban Wauwatosa. <laughs> hey, it's J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, living my best content life in the Milwaukee Bucks, Milwaukee Brewers shared universe where everything is great. Having a great time here, guys. Oh, has it been good in Milwaukee this week? Is there anything <laughs> going on? There, but, it has been. It has been something that I can't say I've seen before. Been pretty, pretty wild. Loving it. It is pretty. I, I actually like. I, I am a sort of conspiracy theorist about the Bucks, especially after two thousand one, and I didn't think I'd see this happen for many reasons. I think the front office is kind of incompetent. That they got Giannis kind of by luck, and that the NBA would never let it happen. But uh, all it took was a global pandemic and like a half a dozen other injuries, and here we are. So good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a conspiracy guy. I get why people feel that way, but like, it's. It's just they just weren't managed right, you know, for years yeah. and years. And, you know, two, I was thinking about 2002 today because the Brewers now have 56 wins, which is exactly the number of wins that the uh, Brewers had back in 2002. And right after the Bucks kind of came down from that 2001, that was such an oasis in the middle of yeah, like a really. sea of crap. So, you know, after 2002, you know, they really there, there was no indication that Milwaukee would have championship level sports. There was nothing to suggest that for a long time, actually, after that. Uh, but uh, but you know things picked up. They drafted some kid out of Greece, put together a couple a couple extra guys, and you know it worked out. Nice nicely done, everybody. Yeah, really well done. And uh, this year's been phenomenal. Uh, really, also very high quality games too. Like these have been super fun to watch, uh, yeah. and so many memorable moments. Like I was kind of worried that the Bucks would go. I mean, if they win a title, I don't care how they do it. But I was a little worried that there'd be some discounting just based on kind of how they can get into to some slogs occasionally on offense and uh, occasionally be kind of boring, but nope, not lately. They really turned it on and just actually look like a championship team that they're probably going to be. So a little bit like our Brewers who get into slogs offensively. That's true. Yeah. Then Willie Adamas comes along and uh, all of of a sudden it's all good. Is Willie Adamas the Drew Holiday of the Milwaukee Brewers? Oh, I think he is. That's a great comp. Uh, Like that. That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Um, just, just the perfect stir, straw to stir the drink edition that seems to have made everybody better, um, and, and, and good enough to actually be a legit contender too. Um, yeah. And especially good today. Cause they really came in and just sort of finished off Cincinnati, I think. So, um, all, all things are bright and, and shiny here. It's very good. Um, yeah. Uh, also in, uh, in Milwaukee, we have, uh, this is Ryan top, but you can call me Matub. <laughs> <laughs> I guess for this yep. purpose, considering I've basically stepped into an RE episode here, so yeah, let's do it. Hi, Ryan. Welcome aboard. It's um, not our fault that we have such a good rapport, Paul and I. It just yeah. it just takes a minute for for number three to, to chime up, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really quick before I start <laughs> the stuff that James always reads um, again, uh, I, I do want to give a quick um, word of warning for people who are going back to the office for the first time, um, because. Uh, so I, you know, as everybody's well acquainted with, I moved back to Chicago because my job wanted me there. And I went into the office for the second time last week. And um, I had to actually wear normal clothes for the first time in a while. Um, you know, if you've been working from pants. home like me, uh, pants, socks, sh- you know, fancy shoes, all that good stuff. So um, I I have like work socks that I that I wear to work. And they're for the most part normal, but I can't find them. They're in a box somewhere. 
Um, I unpacked as much as I could think of where they would be. Couldn't find them. All I could find were these really old work socks I have. They're like these old school, like weird rayon uh, material. Like I'm sure everybody's got some in their closet somewhere. They don't breathe. They smell bad if you wear them too long. But they're all I could find. So I um, think I know where this is going, but I'm dying to find out for sure. So put them on, and I had to run down to my basement to get a bunch of computer equipment because my job deals with computers. And I was wearing just my socks, and I was—I mean, not just my socks. I was wearing clothing as well, but I was wearing not shoes. And so I—it's a new house. I'm not familiar with it yet. I hit the stairs to the basement in these socks, and it was just ice. And uh, my oh, no. feet went out from under me, way up in the air. I fell down on top of my right leg, and in uh, in in tribute to Giannis, I hyperextended my right knee super severely. Oh my uh, god! So I'm not quite sure how bad it is yet. Find out next week sometime. I can walk okay, um, but it was it was really 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 swollen, and I uh, have a history of tearing meniscuses and things. So we'll see how that is. But uh, yeah, so if you are putting on work socks for the first time in a while, just note they have no grip at all. They are like walking on a shoe device. <laughs> what a fabulously specific cautionary tale. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to the office is a mistake. We should all be working from home. So literally this last week, uh, something similar-ish happened to me. I was walking outside in the rain and went into my garage, which has a step down. And when I did that, I slipped because I was wearing sandals and the sandals when it's wet get very slick and went completely you know ass overhead basically yep. landed on my back on the the step down and uh was in pain for like three solid days so yep. that sucked so I <laughs> I feel your pain indeed getting old sucks it's terrible anyway I got a thing about socks I don't wear them I mean I, I do with <laughs> shoes but if I put a sock on my you body don't. And the shoe the shoe goes immediately on after that I, yep. I wear shoes without socks all the time sandals whenever I can I hate socks so this is not a concern for me I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna I, be I agree with you I wish my job would allow such things we, and that we used to record reporting eligible at my house with jr actually there and yeah he's right I've never <laughs> seen you wearing socks that is absolutely <laughs> true. I've never taken yeah. a close look at your your feet. I guess it is true what uh, Tim <laughs> Robbins says are... in uh, the Shawshank Redemption that you, how often do you really look at a man's shoes? Yeah, if you get into a, if you get into a diehard situation at some point, they'll be able to shoot the glass out of the windows and you'll be trapped. And yeah, I, I don't put a lot of photos of my feet anywhere, so I'm not sure why you would have seen my feet. I'm yeah, not that would exactly, be weird. <laughs> I'm not exactly showing them off, but uh, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a barefoot guy. If I can be barefoot, that's 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 when I'm happiest. Rex Ryan would be into this podcast now. Yeah, it got it, weird it, really fast. It, it, and we brought it back around to football, so it's all good. There we go. Um, yes. So a, as a reminder, you can help and support the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Two bucks a month gets you question priority here on the pod. And for five bucks a month, you get the minor league extra podcast with Ryan and James Anderson. You also get some reporting as eligible mini pods, which Paul swears he will record soon. Although um, it's just been it's just been problem after problem here in moving land. So, but uh, very soon. There's lots to talk about. Aaron is a putz, and so yeah. Anyway, um, we are not a basketball football podcast here. This is the baseball podcast. So we had the All Star break, and uh, we came out of it, and the Brewers just beat the living stuffing out of the Reds for three games in a row, which we all love to see. They, they swept them. They're back up to seven games. The Cubs have sold off. The Cardinals look terrible. The Pirates, oh my goodness, are the Pirates bad. Um, looking 
good here. <laughs> um, do you see any? Uh, let's let's just start here. Like Ryan, any situ any situation here? Anybody to be worried about at all that they might possibly be able to give this back, or, or, or is this over? I mean, it's not over because it's baseball and all kinds of weird <laughs> stuff can happen. But man, they just the Brewers seem to have the roster depth that you don't worry about. They're not like one injury to any one particular person away from really seeing it all kind of come falling apart there that is sort of the advantage that they have of having more of a balanced roster instead of you know 2018 19 where they're so built around Christian Yelich and he was so important to basically everything that they were doing they're not that way anymore this is a, a an all-around balanced roster yes losing you know one or two of the the big starting pitchers would would hurt but there isn't really any indication that that's coming down the road so like <laughs> I think we can we can feel relatively good. You can never feel totally good about pitching getting hurt, but barring some sort of catastrophic series of injuries, I just don't see them giving this back because I don't think any of the other teams are that good. You know, maybe the Reds go out and add somebody like Trevor Story, but they're going to have to in the next what twelve days here because the the deadline is actually uh, what would it be a week from this coming Friday. Yeah, so right. it's coming soon. If they don't put themselves in a position to do that, they're going to have a hard time justifying that, even if somebody like Trevor Story does end up on the market, which I'm, you know, I've all maintained my skepticism about that that's not even coming. So I'm not quite sure where the challenge would even come from, honestly. Yeah. This is just such a delicate time of the season. I, I remarked on this earlier that to, to have this advantage now is so key. And I don't, I, maybe it's just me, but I don't see the, the crop of trade deadline candidates being full with all that many difference makers, I guess it ultimately depends on what the Cubs do and if if they really legitimately commit to selling off. And Story, like you said, is another one. But um, I don't know what the Reds are going to get, that what they're going to go all in for. Even if they don't sell per se, you know, the Cubs, Cardinals, and Reds, none of them are in position to really go all in and buy. And and even if they were, there's there's just not a lot of options out there. There's a, there's there's a few guys as always, but. I, I don't I don't see a difference maker that's going to make up that big of ground. And now after Sunday, the Reds are back under, you know, below their run differentials now in the negatives again, that yep. negative eight. The Brewers are far and away the best in this category, plus 62. I mean, on paper, it checks out right now that they are this good. And they're probably, you know, everything, everything checks out now as we hit this, this big part of the season. So, so yeah, like, I mean, it's the Brewers. So we're all trained to think that this is going to go backwards at some point in their offense, which has shown flashes of serious terribleness over the course of the season. You you can't discount that they could go into, you know, a black hole again. But, I, man, I mean, their pitching just keeps them in every single game, every single game, even when they're even when their offense is just really scuffling. They're only a hit or two away. And, and I just don't know if the Brewers are going to go on one of these 10, 11 game losing streaks that that brings it brings other teams back into the fray here, especially especially because I do think they'll add at the deadline to some degree. And, you know, it's only uphill. It's only it's only good things from here. Well, and the other thing is looking at the schedule, we're not even I think they have two series left against the Cardinals, maybe two against the Cubs. Yeah, two against the Cubs and then one against the Reds. It's not like they have a ton of games left with these teams for right. them to be able to you know, make up big advantages. We've seen in the past where maybe there was a lot of games still left against those clubs. And that's just not the case this year. It's not. You can really tell, like, the schedule makers. I mean, I know, I know they don't think in this much depth, but clearly did not think that the Reds would be, like, the Reds and Brewers would be what it came down to. Because 
Um, like the Brewers, I think, have a lot of late Cubs and Cardinals. And I think that they're finished um, with the Reds in like early September or something like that. Uh, August. Their last series against the, the Reds is in August, in August, like August 24th. They're done then. Like, even if the Reds are hanging around, they can't make it up by playing the Brewers. It's impossible for them to do. So um, it's it's weird to have it all check out, like JR said. It's usually the Brewers are sort of fighting against their Pythagorean. We talk about how they're just well managed and they manage to, you know, skirt by it. But this is actually kind of a an anomaly for them in that it's, Everything indicates that they're a very, very good team. Uh, like outside of the the West, clearly the best team in the National League. So, and a plus sixty eight for them, specifically for Craig Council, is like a plus one hundred for some other manager. Like you have to kind of yeah. Craig Council adjust it, and yeah, like that's there. I in some ways I think even outplaying. If you make that adjustment and think of it that way, they're even outplaying that expectation. So. Yeah, it's hard not to be very optimistic at this moment. And who's left on the Brewers' schedule that really frightens you? They close with the Dodgers, and they have this series this weekend against the White Sox. Two very good teams, no questions asked. You know, I, I guess the Phillies are okay. They're a couple games above 500, and the Braves are on there. They're below 500, but you know, they're they're fine. Just, you know, the Giants, who I maintain, I guess the Giants are winning the West. I shouldn't write them off, but you know, I still feel like it's a little smoke and mirrors with the Giants. <laughs> I still don't understand how this team is, you know, doing this, having this ridiculous season. So like maybe finally the Giants start to, you know, start to depreciate a little bit as we get later in the year yeah. and maybe not, but it's not like this is loaded with landmines. There's still three series against the Pirates, you know, like there's, and the Nationals are on here and, and teams that the Brewers should be able to beat, even though they don't have any more Rockies Diamondbacks left. Yeah, yeah. I think we do have, with the Giants two series still left, there's that, but they now have a bunch of injuries. So what I predicted a few weeks ago in not buying into the Giants seems to be yeah. coming to fruition that a bunch of those old guys hurt. are getting hurt. Yeah, lost very, a couple in a row. Maybe this very, is the beginning of the end. Very prescient. I think that might actually be happening. That's If you can make the old guy roster work for an entire season, it can work for you, but that basically never happens. Just the odds catch up with you after a while. Um, Brian Polakowski asks, um, essentially, looking at the standings, is anyone else more worried about the Cardinals at nine back than the Reds at seven back, just because, you know, the Cards do this kind of thing once in a while? Um, mentions that they're pitching, uh, if their pitching gets stabilized, they could make a legit run. Um, any any lingering superstitious fear about St. Louis actually kicking things into gear? I mean, I'm all, I am personally always a little superstitious, but I tried looking at those Cardinals numbers to figure out where they would get so much better. And I mean, obviously Jack Flaherty getting healthy would help. Right. But that's, that's it. Like, do I also think Adam Wainwright is same with the giants that he's this Renaissance guy who's going to be able to, to pitch like this throughout the, the entire rest of the year. Maybe, I mean, we're past, obviously we're well past the halfway point. So it's been sustainable to a degree, but you know, the, the Cardinals, like those pitchers, they haven't convinced me that they're actually good. You know, yeah. John Ant. It's not like there's a track record where you could say he's actually good. He's just got to get back to normal. I, I don't. We don't know that. And their bullpen has guys that are decent, but we don't. You know, Giovanni Gallegos might not be not might not be good again. Like I, I don't know. There's there's not a lot of track record there. So I, I am not afraid of St. Louis on paper at all. And you know, I don't. I don't Dylan Carlson isn't going to bounce back necessarily. We don't have the track record to suggest that on offense. They got they got two good guys. They're what the Reds are on offense. They've got you know. <laughs> 
two, two studs in their lineup and a bunch of guys that might have a good game here or there, it feels like. That might be a little unfair to them, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about the Cardinals. I'm not worried about any of them. Yeah, I I kind of agree with you on that. It Do we know what's going on with Carlos Martinez? Because he's also on the 60 along with Jack Flaherty. They have a whole bunch of pitchers that are hurt. There's always they a do. lot going on with Carlos Martinez. Yeah, so there's a lot of that going on, but like uh, Quang Hun Kim right now is a 287 ERA in 78 innings pitched. I don't know why we would think that's sustainable. 6.9 strikeouts, 3.1 walks per nine. Like I, that doesn't seem sustainable. They do have a no shit, really good bullpen. I will say that for them. They have the bullpen depth that the Brewers have had in past seasons between having Alex Reyes, uh, Gio Gallegos, Ryan Helsley, who's having a bit of a down year. Andrew Miller is not, you know, as good as he used to be, but they have a pretty damn good bullpen. But I just don't see the overall uh, team being there. And their offense seems to be really lagging at the back end in a way that maybe the Brewers aren't now with the emergence of, say, Luis Urias and Jace Peterson. And even Jackie Bradley Jr. has gotten it going to a, a pretty decent extent. Yeah, The Cardinals don't have a deep lineup at all. They do have a little bit more in the middle with a guy to anchor it in Arenado. But, you know, the Brewers have Christian Yelich. And at some point, if he gets going, but we'll, we'll save that for later. Yeah, their pitching, I think, is... Uh, very overrated. There's a lot of Bush Stadium smoke and mirrors with that team. If you if you just go down and look at their ERAs compared to their FIPS, and keep in mind that FIP predicts future ERA better than the ERA, that pitching staff starts to look a lot worse than than it has been on paper so far. Their DRAs check out with that as well. So yeah, they're they're not terrible, but uh, a lot of that is just home cooking with the run scoring environment that they play in all the time, and a little bit of that goes to their offense too. It's not like um, these guys are entirely all butchers all the time, but in, it, it's not a great lineup. It, it, like it's it's Tyler O'Neill and Nolan Arenado and Goldschmidt to some extent, and everybody else is kind of atrocious. So I, I'm not scared of them. I think that the Cardinal Devil Magic is kind of over at this point. They're they're not a sophisticated team anymore. They are a middle of the pack team in terms of how they run development and and stuff. And there's and by the way, Mike Schultz also kind of a bad manager. So got that mm-hmm. going for us too. Um, so yeah, n- nothing to be scared of there. I, I don't think they're going to make a huge run. And, uh, I think the only people that could beat the Brewers are the Brewers at this point. So. Yeah. They're going to have to let other teams back into this at this point. Yep. What about, um, the, what about the Cubs though, real quickly, because you made this point, Paul, that if they don't sell and we obviously think they're going to, but if they don't, I mean, they already are right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jack Peterson, like, okay, that's maybe that's a that's a harbinger, but you can't convince me that's going to like make or break any team. However, they still have a ton of although they got through some Arizona stuff now, still Colorado and Arizona on the schedule more, you know, a ton of games there. I feel like they could they, they could get back into it. I still don't count them out completely. But uh, but, you know, they may not have this roster in two weeks. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think that they're well positioned to make a run just because they play definitely the worst schedule remaining of any team in the central they just have to take it seriously and they also have their own problems too they're yes. the pitching staff is real bad and uh, there's a lot of holes in on their offense too i, I mean it, uh, they could contend if they if their ownership bothered to contend they would definitely be a candidate to make a run at the brewers it would just take adding like a couple uh, like a pitcher and a hitter i think would get them right back into this in a second um but i I just don't see it with them. They're they're being cheap. Uh, their ownership is bad. They're, 
I'm again so glad we have correct correct counsel because everybody else just seems quite stupid. Um, and the, Cub, the Cubs are not an exception to that. David Ross, I don't think, is particularly good, especially tactically. And if you want to get the benefit of him being a good players guy, well, that's not showing up on the field either. So, um, uh, but I, I, they're not going to spend money. They're, they're just cheap. They're, they're just cheap assholes. And it's, um, I'm not scared of them for that reason. Uh, they should be the Yankees, like or the Red Sox, or you know the Dodgers. This this is the team that should scare you. If they're close, they go make big moves and they get back into it and win it. But uh, not happening this year. I I, I don't think that they're, they're going to do it. I think they're they see themselves as too far out and too much money. Well, and this is also basically they're turning into the team that they wanted themselves to become, which was a team that was going to sell. They they sort of preordained this by doing what they did in the offseason to set this up. They didn't want to be. I don't. I really don't think Jed Hoyer wanted them to be in contention. He wanted to be able to sell off because he recognizes that they're not going to be bringing back so many of these guys. It, how many of these guys are free agents? Bryant is, Rizzo is, Baez is. He knows that they're not going to bring back most of these guys, and he wants to be able to sell them off and get something for them before they just walk out the door. And he wasn't going to be able to do that if they were in a pennant race. And they seem to have fallen out of it. So I think this is they're going to take a lot of heat for it and they deserve to take a lot of heat for it. But it's also probably like their best of a bunch of bad outcomes at this point is to just sell. I mean, they're major leaguing this. That's what they're doing They're They are. They're losing for the good of the franchise, which is never good to see. But, you know, at least that they're evil assholes. So it's kind of good to see. Well, I mean, this is what got them this team in the first place was the intentional yep. tank from 2011 to you know, 2014-ish. Yep. That's how they put that core together in the first place was by really intentionally <laughs> losing. Yep. What are the odds the Brewers make, a, make an actual play for Chris Bryant? I don't even mean in the trade market. I mean after this season. Um, I assume he's out of their price range, but he fits a lot of what they need, especially with you know the outfielders getting older. If we're talking about Locaine and... He does. I don't think it's zero just because I would never put zero on David Stearns. Uh, I mean, they make splash signings pretty routinely. And, you know, we think of the Brewers as a cheap, small market team, which they kind of are. But big signings happen kind of a lot. (laughs) So I don't think it's impossible. I do think he'll command a lot. Um, I think he will be very, very, very highly compensated and likely outside of what they can afford. But Chris Bryant's got some warts, too. Um, he has been far from a perfect player. I'm not sure how well he's going to age. Um, and I don't... I, on the other hand, I think if you actually took Chris Bryant and just gave him a position and, and didn't jerk him around all over the field all the time and just let him play one spot and hit, that it would do him a lot of good, too. So, But I, I, I don't know. Um, I would say it's like a, like a 15% chance to make a good run at him, which is more than you probably get from other teams. Yeah, I mean, he could be great at third base, man. <laughs> Yes. I, the only way I see the Brewers getting him is if the market crashes on him because of the uh, the Boris of it all and just the him having the what I assume will be the Cubs putting a, a tag on him, though. If he is traded, that won't happen. So he won't be uh, a I'm completely spacing on what it's called. The qualifying offer. Yeah. If he gets a qualifying offer and if Boris overplays the market for Bryant, that is the only way I could see him falling into the Brewers price range because those are the types of guys they've gone after. Look at who they've, aside from Lorenzo Cain, they've gone after 
yeah, Moustakis when that sort of thing happened. They've gone after uh, Grandal when that happened. Grandal, yeah. Like, this is the kind of guy that they, they target. So I can't see them doing it if they're paying the freight for him. And at this point, I would assume that they are. But who the hell knows what this upcoming free agent market is going to look like, right? With the impending labor Armageddon hanging over everybody's head. Like, I don't even know. Are the players going to want to sign long-term deals or wait? Are teams going to want to sign long-term deals or wait? Uh, who knows? It's just going to be a complete mess. And when any of that's even going to happen is all up in the air, too. Yeah. Indeed. All right. R- moving on to one of Ryan's favorite topics really quick. So uh, it's becoming pretty clear if you play against the Brewers this season, it's very important that you turn towards the dugout when you get past first base um, b- because it-, it is apparently something that people are keeping their eyes on for. And we, we had a bit of an ump show on Friday and Saturday, um, weird strike zones and bizarre calls in the field. Um, uh, first of all, Ryan, if you'd like to rant on umpires again, feel free. But Adam Post also asks, um, is there an umpire conspiracy against the Brewers because they always seem to be on the wrong end of incorrect calls? Conspiracy. Yes. Uh, I would I would argue first of all that that last game, uh, last series against the Reds, the four games against in Milwaukee, Thursday night, the one game the Brewers won, absolutely because Doug Eddings helped the Brewers more often than not in the strike zone. So <laughs> while while you know I'll let Ryan have the floor here, but like. That game was won by the umpires for the Brewers. I feel. I feel. Uh, a couple others maybe went a different way later. But anyway, go <laughs> ahead, Ryan. Talk to us. I mean, this isn't the NBA, so I I was purposely staying out of the earlier conversation about that. But I think my <laughs> my feelings on that subject are well known at this point. So if anybody follows me on Twitter, uh, this normally I've been pretty good about baseball and ump criticism over the last I don't know like five years or so. But this is really this got me going because there was just so many bad calls stacked on top of each other. And it just all seemed to go to the Reds. There was another game this weekend where we saw it was a point seven oh towards the Reds, like all the calls in the strike zone seemed to be going to them. Um, that Doug Eddings game was really, really bad, just sort of in general, though. I think it still did slightly favor the Reds, but I I can't remember the details. No of way. Right now. The one from. Or maybe it slightly favored the Brewers. It was like 0. I think it favored 5. the Brewers. 0.15, yeah. yeah. The, that Thursday night game, yeah, that was the 0. 0.15 towards the... So it was a slight favoring of the Brewers. But, it, I mean, that one was just one of the worst strike zones all year in terms of his number correct. Yeah. But we've just seen so much crap lately, and it is very tempting to fall into this narrative of, well, the umpire or the, the MLB would like to see a race in the division. And if the Brewers had come out and, you know, <laughs> completely stomped on the Reds in the series and taken five or six games, the division would have been over. And it's not quite over as it stands now. But the Brewers did seem to be sort of skiing uphill in the NBA. I would have called it playing five on eight. So it did seem to be difficult for them. But, you know, like they ended up coming out of this this run four and three. And I can't get like all kinds of worked up about that. If it was a conspiracy, then the umpires are really bad at like making what they were trying to make happen happen. <laughs> so I, I what is the, the old thing? Hanlon's razor about never ascribing to uh, to malice what could be uh, uh, stup- yeah to stupidity yeah it's great yeah um and and a perfect explanation of it there by the both of us stepping on each other's words um 
baseball obviously is not rigging anything. They are they're incapable of actually making a working baseball. They definitely are incapable of rigging their own sport properly. So um, there's no reason to think that's happening. It's just umpiring is hard. Um, a lot of the guys who do it aren't great at it. Some are, but you're just going to get games like this every once in a while where where strike, strike zones get screwy. Some guy didn't get enough coffee in the morning and decides he's going to tag people out or call people out for turning slightly left when they cross first base. It just that's how that goes sometimes. Um, umpiring but, is like defense too. You think you know that your guy is the best guy at it because you that's the guy you watch every day. Yep. You think the umpires in your game are the worst because they're the ones you watch, but you don't watch the other 14 games every night. So you just really never get a vibe for how much your team is getting screwed. Or, you know, it's like defense that way. You don't know if your guy is really the best defensive second baseman in baseball because you don't watch the other second baseman. <laughs> exactly. It's it's just umpiring is one of the things we like to talk about. It's kind of fun. And it's nice to have, you know, somebody to blame your problems on. Um, it's, a, <laughs> it's good to have a scapegoat. So. Um, so before we move on to Patreon questions, the one thing that maybe could undo the Brewers is if their bullpen took a big enough hit. They've traded from depth to acquire people already. They've, they're running a bit thin. They're running a lot of young guys out there. And um, they took two hits over the last couple of days. Um, Devin Williams is was sent to the aisle with elbow discomfort, which are words you never want to see. And um, then Brad Boxberger had to leave a game with, what, I guess, what's being reported as shoulder stiffness which I don't know what that is or how long he's going to be out. But, you know, um, not that Brad Boxberger is outstanding or anything, but he was certainly logging a lot of quality innings for them. So um, nobody's expected to be out long at this point. Um, but they got into a bit of a long game the other day, and um, they almost ran out of pitchers. The Reds did run out of <laughs> The Reds ran out of hitters, I guess. But uh, but does this un- do you think they need to go out and get another relief pitcher or two? Ryan, I can start with you on that one. Yeah, they do. That's absolutely what this shows. And it is nice to see that they're very proactive about this stuff. Like the Devin Williams thing, he told them when he was warming up that there was an issue. So they backed off of him and then shut him down right away. And they are looking to protect him. This is, and I've seen some disagreement about this, but this is why they're backing off of Freddie Peralta right now and not pitching him. Uh, coming out of the break because they are trying to be very careful and trying to keep in mind that this is a long run and they want everybody to be healthy and available in October. And what happens right now is much less important because, you know, seven game lead. Yeah, I would. I mean, not only do I think they should add a really, they they will, they do it every year. I mean, 2020 was a good one, but this is, this is what they do. That's the hallmark of a Stearns team and, and most teams that compete every year. Are going to be adding somebody so the relief market is always weird there's always guys that you haven't heard of that are actually really good they're they're guys i for sure have not heard of but then they get traded to the brewers and like who's that you look up the numbers it's like oh yeah okay that guy's decent he's effective and they've always found success with this so even though it's probably not it's not going to be craig kimbrell or richard rodriguez most likely especially especially because all the best trade targets are in this division which uh which is is annoying and and probably yep. precludes them from coming to milwaukee at a number of positions but, uh, you know, whatever, what, they'll, they'll add guys for sure. They'll add two or three guys. Not two or yeah, three, but one, I feel or, like, one, or two, one or two. I feel like in the extra inning game, when uh, Yandel Gustav had to pitch two innings, that, oh my gosh. that, that was sort of the, we're, we're out of people. We're, we're out of pitchers. Um, and kudos to him for getting to, through two innings. 
um, with the stuff that he was throwing. <laughs> uh, one of the luckiest two-inning relief theft. appearances that I've ever seen in my life. Um, That's no a total I- theft. Had no idea where the ball was going. Everything that was hit was just smoked, <laughs> but right at somebody. So, um, yeah, when you get down to him, that's when you need to go get guys because <laughs> he actually had to pitch and they they got lucky to win the game. But you don't want to have it happen again. Well, and they're in good shape right now because they do have three off days in the next eight days, yep. which, Thank you goodness. know what? You, like, you like it in the, when it's happening, but screw MLB for not giving them another off day or two, taking one of these and putting it back in when they were playing like 34 games in 35 days or whatever, right before the break, like you could have given it to them. Then that would have been a lot better than having three in, in eight days right after literally immediately following a time when everybody had a four day break. I'm good with it. Cause they came through that stretch. They came through that stretch brilliantly and now have yep. Boxberger and Williams down. So it worked out, worked out for the Brewers. Sure. But yes, I agree. I hear what you're saying. That's that's that is very frustrating. You know, there's also the Aaron Ashby of it all. I mean, they're going to have him in the bullpen if they can get him back up to the big leagues and pitching well. So that's an option for them. And uh, and I agree that they seem a little shorthanded right now, but they do have a pretty good cadre of relievers. You do have to feel pretty good if, if all those guys are healthy yeah. uh, with, with what they have. Absolutely. Still strength, just not as deep as it once was. So. Mm-hmm. Coming off the All-Star break, we also did recently have the MLB draft. We had our last episode while it was going on. And um, Ryan will be talking with James Anderson on the topic of their recent draft picks, which is good because um, I personally know nothing about any of them. And James is an expert, so um, glad we have him to do that. But uh, just to recap that, the, the Brewers took uh, um, Sal Frillick out of... Uh, Ryan, correct my pronunciations if I get any of them wrong. But, um so, South Relic out of Boston College, 15th overall, and uh, second baseman Tyler Black from Wright State at 33rd overall. Um, and um, these guys are total brewer types, and uh, we'll leave we'll leave the, that to the um, to, to the minor league extra to to go over it in additional detail. But Ryan, I want to plug anything specifically. Yeah, I mean the the big thing about this draft and what's really noteworthy is they didn't draft a high schooler until the 11th round, and then they took four straight. And this all very much fits within what the Brewers are looking to do right now. You're in the same group chat I am, and and we saw uh, our old uh, former co-host, J.P. Breen, talking about what the Brewers were up to. And there was a word that kept getting used over and over and over in that chat. This is true. And that word was model. Model. Yep. That the Brewers, everything is being done by the model. And we'll talk more on the minor league extra, like Paul said, about what exactly that means. And but the Brewers definitely have a type. And if you look at what they've done lately, last year, they took five college players in the five round draft, five college guys, and uh, they were all hitters. This year, they didn't take a pitcher until the 50s, until they're into the fifth or sorry. uh, No. And yeah, into the 50s. And I think they only took two pitchers in the first 10 rounds, and they were both college slash Juco guys, and everybody else was college hitters. And then once they got to the 11th round, it was all kinds of high school hitters with upside who are going to be signing for well more than their slot um, that they're allowed to at that point. So the Brewers definitely rearranged money and were creative once again and did what we've talked about, which is they spend all the money. They just do it creatively, and that's what teams do in the draft now because there is a hard cap on how much money you're allowed to spend overall. 
So they they push it right to that very edge, and they're set up to do that again well this year. So make sure you listen to the Minor League Extra for more details on all that. All right. Sounds good. We will be looking forward to, to that. Um, I always look forward to learning about whoever they took. Um, I, I, I like following all the guys in the minor leagues, especially the ones who are highly touted and likely to move fast. But uh, I basically learn about all of them through the minor league extra. <laughs> so my own show is very helpful there. Um, all right. Let's move on to questions. Uh, can knock some of these guys out here. And of course, as is traditional, our first Patreon question comes from Jay Google. Um Jay, I always appreciate you. And I appreciate this one, too, because uh, I saw this trade rumor floating around and um, Ryan and I actually disagree on it. So that's always fun. So on MLB Network this past week, they did hypothetical deals. And one was Jose Ramirez for Keston Hira, um, uh, Perez, Feliciano and Zamara. Would you do that or would you make the trade if Perez was out of it and either Ethan Smaller or, um, or Ashby was included instead? So, Ryan, I know what your answer is. So you go first and then. Well, actually, no, I because I did say on Twitter, I probably would have to do this as much as it would. Oh, did you? Okay. As much as it would pain me. But I think that the issue is more that uh, we're the argument that was being had in that specific case was with a uh, fan of Cleveland who <laughs> uh, thought that this deal was not nearly getting enough for his team. And that isn't really accurate. This would be giving up quite a bit on the Brewers, and especially on the potential side with Hedbert Perez. Uh, you, you would have to have Cleveland really, really, really uh, liking Hedbert Perez, and also, I think, liking Keston Hira's uh, chances to bounce back as well. He, they would have to really like both of those aspects for this sort of a deal to work, but I think value-wise, it's actually not in really that bad. Uh, the issue here is that Cleveland isn't going to trade Jose Ramirez. I, yeah. I see almost no chance of that happening. So it's all kind of academic anyway. But uh, Jose Ramirez is a very, very good player and is on a pretty good contract. I think it's an $11 million and a $13 million option for 2022 and then 2023. So he's a, a good player on a good deal, but I, I just don't see this as really happening. I'd be curious what you guys think about Hira in trades in general. You know, obviously right now he'd be in the sell low category, and I can't imagine the Brewers would fetch all that much. I don't know if that potential is still something that they can they can traffic in. I mean, I think there's legitimate concern here that this uh, – I mean, it's still not a big enough sample to say this, but it might not get back to what they are hoping for here. It might, might be that we've seen the best of Keston Hira already. So I, I think there would be some concern that you just wouldn't get much for him, but – on the other hand, um, he might he might be one of the best pieces they have. I, I don't think they got a lot to give still, even even with a slightly improved system here. So, do you think we could see? I mean, he's certainly not a piece they need right now for this team. Maybe maybe he is a guy that gets traded. I wouldn't move him. Um, I think he is uh, selling low. Like there's there's a couple things that happen when a guy is not performing and. Uh, sometimes another another team will see something that they know they can fix and um, you know make an offer and you know the team dealing that player will also have an understanding of okay he still has a lot of potential there's probably some fixability here and they'll kind of meet in the middle on a trade and that's that's still selling low because it's still a potential trade the problem with Keston Hira is that it's so well documented all of the various things that are wrong with him the personal off the field issues that may be impacting him that maybe he doesn't get past until something happens definitively there which is a terrible thing to say based on that but um like, like that's a mental issue that 
may not go away. And he's a mess. He's a complete mess. There's not a lot of projectability here. Somebody might give you, you know, a bag of balls for him because there is potential there. But I, I think you're wasting a lot of value if you don't wait and see if he can figure it out here first and show that he can get back to that. Um, I, I just don't think he's worth diddly squat at the moment. And I think you would be much better served to wait and see if he can work through his issues and put down some some good at-bats and some good tape first. So um, he's too low for me. I, I would not trade anybody who is currently valued as low as he is. Yeah, the only way the Brewers deal him is if they get a return that is not commiserate with a sell-low player. If somebody bought him like he is likely to bounce back and paid that price for him and treated him like that, then I could see the Brewers potentially moving him. But the whole point of getting a Keston Hira from the other team's perspective is to buy low on him when he's having this and to get the upside bounce back if you think it's going to happen. It's not to bet on it and give up value in line with that. So it seems unlikely that they would deal him just because the value doesn't line up, which I think is mostly what you were you were getting out there, Paul. It just yeah. seems unlikely to happen. Yeah, and and I'm a skeptic that he's ever going to be what we saw his first year again. I think that he might be um, more broken than a lot of people think. But I mean, I'm wrong a lot of the time, and you, you know, that potential was there for us to see. So you you want to have some inkling he can get back to it, but for other teams to look at before you even consider trading him for sure. Yeah, I'm more optimistic that he will figure this out and make the adjustments that are needed. I just yeah. don't know what kind of timeline that looks like right now with everything that's going on, like you said, with the personal stuff, which is nightmarish and horrible. I just don't know. Yeah. And for the record, Jose Ramirez is awesome, and the Brewers would do that trade in a, a second if it actually was offered to them, and it won't be. So, Wait, you think uh, they would absolutely do it? You don't think yes. that they... It would all depend on how high they are on Perez. Uh, uh, he's very, very, very young. He, you have, yeah, dude. Th- he is. You get three years of awesome for speculative, maybe future years of awesome. You, you take your three years of awesome, two and a half, whatever. Yeah, um, but it all depends on what their eval on Hedbert is. Okay, fine. Like, they but- may have a really insane number on him. Right now, he is absolutely lighting the world on fire right now. I don't know. Anybody can fall that in love with teenagers to skip out on what they could get for Jose Ramirez. I don't care what they're... Discount whatever he's doing right now with the the many levels he still has to go through and excel at to actually get to baseball, uh, Major League Baseball, and then actually be good there, too. Like, bird in the hand hand for another couple of years is pretty good. So, uh, And also just a huge war upgrade. Um, They should definitely do that. Um, if they, they, it doesn't matter. It won't happen. It's, no, it's, it's not, not gonna... going to happen. But again, <laughs> somebody could have made this exact same argument for, uh, say, uh, Juan Soto in the year right. before he was called up. And like, that's not to say Hedbert Perez is that because the overwhelming likelihood is that he is not that. But mm-hmm. I mean, the possibility, uh, the, Juan Soto does exist. Like, guys like this do happen. And, You know, so they come from somewhere and like, I don't think you can completely discount the the idea because what Hedbert Perez is doing right now is exactly what that looks like. So I think that you have to be at least a little skeptical that they would that they would willingly do that because it's so hard to get a superstar, which I think your point with Jose Ramirez is well taken that he is a superstar though 
honestly, if you look at his numbers, he's not that much better than what Luis Urias has done since they traded for Willie Adamas. Like what he's doing this year is a little bit better than what Urias has done since then. Yeah. Obviously, there's much more track record. Yeah, the variance with Luis Urias to me is still really, really high. No doubt he's been awesome since Adamas came into the picture for whatever reason that's worked for him. But yeah, that's that's still a spot where you can you can feel safe that that would be an upgrade. I, I I'm trying to I was trying to find Juan Soto's numbers. Um, I I just can't you know Hedbert Perez isn't going to be a big leaguer at 19 you know whereas Juan Soto was already at that level. So I I just don't know. If, and I'm trying to think of the number of guys that have been signed as international free agents. The Brewers have worked out that, that have worked out. I mean, is it is it Alcides Escobar and Orlando Arcia? Am I missing some guys? It, it just doesn't. It's just never been a pipeline for them. Yeah, I mean, you have to go back way, way back to like Sixto Lascano and like that era of things right, okay. to find those guys. I mean, uh, you had Willie Peralta, but yeah, they haven't had. By that. the way, it's awesome now. With the Detroit yes. Tigers yes. tearing it up. Having, having a really great stretch here, yeah. Yeah. Well, he always <laughs> did have that 95-mile-an-hour sinker, which, like, was a, a, a badass pitch. It's just, yep. like, he never knew what else to do with it to make it work as, you know, pitching as opposed to just a really badass pitch. But the thing is, like, w- talking about Soto in specific, because he was called up directly from low A, he he'd skipped over double AA, A, triple A entirely, just was called straight up from A ball and hit the ground running. Uh, no, that all is very, very unlikely for anybody to do. That's why it was it was remarkable for Soto to have done it. I'm just pointing out that like timelines on guys like this uh, are weird and variable. And there are guys who come up at 19 years old yeah. and make those runs. Somebody's doing it. Next Patreon question from Brian Polakowski. Um, does Stearns have a bit of a roster crunch coming up with Lorenzo Cain, Dan Vogelbach, Travis Shaw all coming back? Um, they have, of course, added Rowdy Tele um, in the interim. And um, there's Keston Hira possibly back on the roster, Tyrone Taylor. Um, so what happens when everybody's back and healthy simultaneously? Who goes first? JR, you want to take, take a crack at that? Yeah, I was trying to put together the... Um the playoff roster with my colleague and good friend, Kurt Hogue the other day and trying to imagine if everybody were healthy, how, how that would shake out. It is really hard because they've had so many contributions. You know, Jace Peterson is a good example. Like what do you do with Jace Peterson? Jace Peterson is not a big leaguer. If everybody's healthy or not with this Brewers team anyway, but I mean, obviously he's played like a big leaguer for the last, you know, several weeks. I mean, he's a very capable player. Tyrone Taylor is another guy. I don't know what you do with him. Like he is a big league baseball player. You can't just subtract him, but uh, you know, I would, first of all, the caveat is always, there might be enough injuries where this doesn't ultimately come to pass in the same way. I, I, I honestly don't know. I, I still think that first base would be an area where you could upgrade in the trade deadline. And I don't know if there's room on this roster for both Dan Vogelbach and, and Rowdy Telez for much longer. Like I, I think you I think you probably picked to Les because he might have a little bit more upside. I mean, Vogelbach, I feel like he's kind of what he is. He got hot for a month, but uh, I, I don't know. And I don't think you go and trade Richards for to if you're going to then just turn around and dump him and keep Vogelbach, though. I will point out to does have an option that has already been exercised this year. So that could actually be the, the solution there is just sending Rowdy back down to triple A if they think Vogelbach is is better than him. 
And we already know that they have Hira as a guy who they can send down because they've already done it this year. So that option year has already been exercised. Tyrone Taylor, same deal. He's been up and down this year. So they can just kick this can down the road. I don't think they Jace Peterson, they're going to find ways to play him. Craig Council is going to get him into the lineup as much as he possibly can, giving other guys days off and whatever, just because he's so good at getting on base. And he adds a dimension to the lineup that they sorely need. And like they can put him at, you know, basically any infield position and have him play it. And so he's not going anywhere. But I think any of the other guys, it's all subject to who looks best in their eyes in that moment to go and also trying to maintain depth. So if Kane comes back, Taylor probably goes. When Vogelbach comes back, Tillis probably goes down, but maybe not for very long, depending on what Vogelbach actually looks like. Shaw seems the most likely to just be straight up released when he comes back. But they are presumably going to have the ability to send him down to AAA for a minor league rehab assignment and see what he's doing there and see how he's coming back from his injury. So they're going to at least have some time to make those decisions. And what one thing we do know about David Stearns is he loves kicking the can down the road and keeping his options open as long as possible and not closing doors. So he probably, you know, tends more towards instead of releasing guys, sending other guys down. But that isn't necessarily a permanent solution. That's just a way to kick the can down the road a little while, like I said. Yeah. Uh, I think Vogelbach's days are probably numbered. Just uh, Telez is, there's there's more invested in him at this point. And um, he is younger and as good, if not better. So that that's true. And I, I do think Travis Shaw's days are probably numbered too. Um, does lead into Mark Pod, Podscarby's question. Um, if you could pick only one guy to play first base the rest of the year, who do you go with? I know, tough one. <laughs> Who won? I'll, I'll I'll go first. Um, uh, I I think I would actually go with Jace. Um, it's a tough question because it locks you into a position that, by the nature of the question, but uh, I, I think he's the most productive of those guys. He, he actually is pretty good defensively, and everybody else has huge warts, bad platoon splits, can't play defense. Is Keston Hero like? There's all kinds of problems with that. So. Um, I'd go with Peterson, even though it takes him out of the rotation to play other spots, just because I think he's most likely to keep playing halfway decent offense. I don't know. Anybody disagree? I'd probably go to Les, um, only because I guess there's still a little bit of more of an unknown than there are with others. I feel like we have a good picture of these other guys. I mean, obviously, Hero could get better, but we, we're not seeing it. So uh, that would be my, my – I mean, my my actual answer is Chris Bryant – or you know whomever else they can acquire in a trade, because uh, I still think that's that's the right spot for it. And it's nice to have Peterson capable of playing. You know he's got a little versatility. It'd be nice to use it. And I still, as good as he is getting on base, is he like is he? He definitely doesn't fit the spectrum defensive spectrum thing. And I, I don't I don't I don't know if I yet believe that that's a guy you can rely on for the rest of the year. But I don't know. It's been a while now. <laughs> well, the floor for Jace is very low because he doesn't have any real power. Even in this good run we've seen of him, it's been very scant power, especially at first base. So, I mean, from that perspective, you can't be very excited about about that. I guess, given where they're at and given what I think they need, I would play upside, and I think the upside play is Hira. 
like he's the guy that has the most realistic upside. We've seen him two years ago be a 140 WRC plus guy. So he has that in the bag. It's there potentially, presumably that guy still exists. <laughs> we haven't seen any of him, but presumably he still exists. And so if you're looking for upside, it would be Hira. All right. Uh, I suppose that's true. Just so much downside there too. Um, with the glove and with the bat, it's my, I, I assume Jace can hold it down fine over there, but anyway, whatever. Um, uh, Mike, Mike Chimernick asks, Christian Yelich went on pardon my take, boo, last week and made a bet that he can hit 20 home runs in the second half. What's the percent chance of that happening? Uh, Jerry, you want to, you want to go first on that one? Um, I mean, I, I won't say zero because Christian Yelich, we've seen he's, he's a professional. He's a veteran. Maybe he figures something out. I think it's really, really low. I mean, he hit one in this red series, but I mean, have you, there's a, a specific type of swing in 2018 and 2019 that we have not seen. And it's, you know, maybe this is just the, the results informing the aesthetics in my mind a little bit, but a particular like, pop off the bat swing that's pulled but not really pulled more like just a, a right center sort of thing yep we just haven't seen it like it almost feels like when he hits a home run it's 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 up into a jet stream it's a little bit of an accident and he hits so many ground balls like i don't know it's gonna take an overhaul of what he's doing right now i know they're trying to overhaul it but like it ain't working so i i don't and is he going to have enough at bats where he's going to see pitches to hit twenty home runs? Like no one's throwing him strikes, and and why would you? Like they they found, they attack the part of the zone he's weak at, and then he takes the stuff that isn't there. You know, like it just there's no way I see that happening. Teams are still afraid of him, though. That's the thing is they're still pitching him largely outside the zone, and he has gotten frustrated. You can tell over the last you know couple weeks here where he's gotten really frustrated in that umpires are not giving him what I think he rightly assumes should be his, you know, super star strike zone. And so he's getting pinched a little bit more than he would like to be. And I think that uh, that guy is still probably in there. Uh, this is like a, a repeat of what I said about casting here. The guy's probably still in there. I just don't know if we're going to see it. And I'll let Paul talk about his theory on this again, because <laughs> I know that's coming. But uh, I, I mean, to actually answer the question, I'd give it yeah you know, 25%. So one in four chance of happening mm. like that maybe is even overly optimistic. Maybe it's more like one in five. So 20%. But I still think that 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 talent is there and other teams are still scared of him. So that's that's something, too. That's telling us quite a bit, I think. So the one thing with the theory is he is not actually hitting lefties this year. Uh, by the way, the, the, the aforementioned theory you've all heard on this podcast before is that Yelich is like two hitters. He is um, a spray hitter with power against lefty pitching, and he's a pull, dead pull hitter with power against right-handed pitching. And ever since he crushed a ball into his knee, he has not had the same approach against um, right-handed pitching, I think, for fear of doing it again. Um, but... And he said, by the way, reverse platoon splits since that happened until now. Um, yeah. And now he's just weird. So he actually has a decent OPS against righties right now. He's, he's OPS is 801, not least for him, but, you know, whatever. But it's that weird. His OBP is way higher than his slugging percentage. Um, and that's not great. It's good he takes walks. He gets on base. That's fine. But 
it's not what you want to see. And against lefties, he's actually gotten a lot worse, which is also disconcerting. And maybe he's just trying to, you know, elongate that swing, hit for a little more power and fix that problem. But he's lost his effectiveness against same size, same side. But I think it's like a 10% chance. I, I'm not seeing the loft in the swing there. Um, he doesn't seem to be able to, be able to figure out the what to do when guys won't throw him strikes. And honestly, the thing to do is probably to walk even more, try and get up to the Barry Bonds level of walking and, you know, force people to come into the zone that way. But he seems frustrated. He, if he could just snap into it by making a bet with assholes, I think he would do it. But um, that would have happened earlier if that was possible, and it didn't. So I don't think he's got 20 home runs in him the second half here. I think he'll have a weird line where his OBP is 400 and slugging is something like that too. But I'm, I'm not seeing the power swing anymore. Uh, he's got to fix a ton of stuff to get that back. I just want to point out my level of pessimism on the Bucks live blog was after the first quarter in game five, I gave it very little chance that the Bucks could come back in that game because there had been no evidence throughout the postseason that they were going to be able to, first of all, strike quickly or, or have that much success against Phoenix's defense. And then they compromised that 16 point lead in like four minutes, like, like a normal regular season NBA game where nothing matters. So um, I just want people to know that my pessimism here, because there is no, you know, clear cut data should not be construed as anything approaching expertise. They sure. could, I could very much be wrong, just like I was about the Bucks, And I hope, hopefully am, of course. Yeah, just I want to, I want him to come back to me when he has more home runs than Jackie Bradley Jr. Or Ugh. Manny Pena um, or Tyrone Taylor or. Um, kind of basically anybody on the team. He's only one ahead of Jace Peterson. <laughs> yes, not not great. So um, come back to me. When, when you're in the top five in home runs on the team, come back and talk to me. Until then, no, you're not hitting 20 in one half. Uh, so What a nightmare. Yes, what a nightmare. At least the rest of the team is good. That's good. <laughs> well, he's good. He is providing he's something. He's good. Uh, his base running actually against the Reds in, on that Saturday night game, but uh, mm -hmm. he's he's providing something. It's not what we want fully, you know. It's not even close, but it's yep, it's, it's he's still a plus player. Yep, it's not bad. It's just not MVP, which is unfortunate. Or all star, or all star, or yeah, even above average. He's kind of average. Top five player in the lineup. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, knock out the rest of our. Patreon questions, uh, Vinny Cornels. Is there a world where Jace Peterson and Luis Sirius are doing just good enough at the corners that we don't trade for a bat? I sure hope not. Both have been serviceable, but this team needs a marquee bat to be a real contender. Uh, Ryan, what do you think? No, I mean, I think they're going to trade for a bat. I think it might change where they look for the bat a little bit. I think they're less likely to go out and seek a third baseman, third baseman uh, than they were based on the fact that Urias has been so good that I don't think they want to like diminish his playing time significantly. And if you were to bring in a third baseman and move him, and then obviously Jace Peterson isn't going to be playing every day at first base, that starts to make your infield rotation awfully cluttered. So I don't think they want to do that. But I do still think they're going to add a power bat, especially a power right-handed bat. I think that is coming. Uh, it's just, I think, less likely at third base now, probably more likely at first base uh, instead. I, I think the track record here of David Stearns, Moustakis deal, Abisil Garcia deal, he's never really been satisfied with position groups or anything like that. I don't, I, which is to say, I don't think he makes decisions based on, oh, we're good here because we've got these guys. 
I, he's always it's always it's an independent search for him. He's looking for anything that's going to help, even if there's no obvious piece to the you know there's not an obvious opening in the puzzle that he's got. So uh, I do not think that there's their success or lack thereof will in any way inform what he's doing. Uh, I don't think it guarantees that they're going to get a corner infielder. You know that seems like the obvious play, and the Brewers do not often make the obvious play uh, other than getting Willie Adamas, which which was it was a surprise and how abrupt it came. So um, there, it, David Stearns just operates on his own drum, which is to the great benefit of the Brewers. So I, I don't think that's going to matter. By the way, did you guys see how mad Reds fans are about Willie Adamas? Because they're looking no. at it going, we should have had him. There's no reason we couldn't have traded for him. We could have given up what the Brewers gave up for him, and they could have. And Absolutely. they didn't. Yeah. And oops on them and they could use a shortstop they were even more desperate for a shortstop than the brewers were so yeah i i do like kind of making them insane though i think we know that that deal had a lot to do with you know matt arnold having been involved in the acquisition of uh adamas in the first place and the brewers have been targeting adamas for a long time and the deal just finally got done because the reds <laughs> or the the race started to bring guys up yeah. So it was more complicated than that. But yes, Reds fans, you can feel totally uh, awful about that because you could have had him and we got him instead. He's, he's going to get MVP votes at this point. Like, I, I don't know if I even fully believe that as I say that out loud. But with <laughs> Jacob DeGrom getting hurt, we don't know how long DeGrom is out. So that could be one less player in the MVP race if there's any length of time there. I mean, how do you not point to the team just got ridiculously good when Willie Adamas showed up? And they're one of the best teams in the National League. Like, as much as we doesn't feel like it, they are one of the best teams in the National League. I mean, I honestly think he's going to be at least casually in the conversation here. Well, yeah, I mean, he's going to get down ballot votes. I don't think there's – well, he's going to have to have a, a strong second half. Like, we're three games into the second half here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. he's going to have to have a strong second half. But, like, the narrative power of this – could he have sort of a, a Kirk Gibson-esque run? Like, Kirk Gibson won that 88 MVP, which was kind of a joke. Ridiculous. But yeah, but could he have sort of a run? I don't know. The voting, the voters have changed on that, too. The voters aren't looking at, you know, they're looking at value as more of a pure value thing as opposed to a who can Intangible. I write a floral narrative about? So Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. By BRF war, by the way, Brennan Woodruff is leading by quite a bit um, as far as Brewers are concerned at 4.4 war so far. So um, Willie's actually third on the team or fourth on the team behind the big three pitchers. And uh, and he did not have a month and a half on that resume. He did not. Mm -hmm. So very impressive there. Indeed. Okay. Last last Patreon question from Jay Google also um, <laughs> for, for JR. So what's the deal with Aaron Rodgers? <laughs> Why am I supposed to answer that? Because I because I'm on RAE. Because you're on the football podcast, and I'm asking oh. the question. <laughs> What's the deal with Aaron Rodgers? Is is I am fascinated to know how he's going to play Game Six of the NBA Finals. Because as a partial owner of that team, how can he not be in the building for that team having a chance to win the Larry O'Brien Trophy? So the thing is, if you figure you think he's going to want to avoid the booze. And he doesn't the uh, booze as in like fan reaction, not fan the reaction, actual not, drink, yeah. uh -huh. right? Which I mean, don't get me wrong. If there's scotch involved in an on in an on camera downing opportunity, I'm I'm for it. But um, he's probably going to want to avoid that. So does he like get a suite with Christian Yelich, like the MVP suite? Maybe 
Brian Braun shows up. Uh, <laughs> is that how they play it? Is it going to be while he's sitting courtside, but he shows up maybe like midway through the game? Like, how does he not, how does he both show up and not take the spotlight? Like, that is going to require just a tremendous amount of PR finesse. I am fascinated to know if he doesn't show up, I'll be actually kind of surprised at this point. Um, I think he's, I think he's coming back to the Packers and I don't know if there's really any evidence to suggest otherwise at this point, but um, the game six is interesting Tuesday night, baby. It's going to be wild. Put him in between Oscar Robertson on one side and LeBron James on the other side. And then the, the reactions, whatever the crowd does, you could just blame it on either they're cheering for Oscar or they're booing LeBron. LeBron. So no matter what happens, it's not about Rogers. That is the solution here. I love that idea. That is brilliant. LeBron ain't coming to Milwaukee, but I love, 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 love that idea. (laughs) They can put him instead of LeBron. They can put him next to Stephen A. Smith there. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Rogers has requested to sit next to you, Stephen A. Smith. (laughs) (laughs) That would go over well. No, no downside to doing that. Um, all right, we do have a couple Twitter questions, which um, we will knock out. You can, all, of course, also ask us questions on Twitter um, at MKE Tailgate, um, at Badger Noonan for me, at RD Top for Ryan. And if you want to ask JR a question, even though he's not on every week, he's at JR Radcliffe. Um, we have uh, my, my, my first and favorite from Enrico Palazzo. Um, we'll start with Ryan on this one for obvious reasons. Which guys who aren't dead yet have the best chance to help the team? Um, and I believe Enrico coined the the uh the phrase a, a prospect is just someone who isn't dead yet mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah this was in response to an article by a cubs writer during their last tank who was basically saying prospects schmoshbecks sh- they don't ever amount to anything we don't want to have anything to do with this and everybody deservedly savaged him because the cubs were sitting on quite a lot of good prospects at that time so <laughs> who ended up winning them a world series a few years later um, so the question here is, yeah, prospects, which prospects can help this team. And I'm going to go by not the traded version, but who can come up and help them. Uh, it's Ethan small and Aaron Ashby. Those would be the biggest guys I think that could potentially come up and be impact relievers. Probably maybe, maybe you could see Ethan small in the rotation, but I think more than likely you're going to see them as relievers, uh, guys who can be multi-inning weapons out of the bullpen if they come up and are you know, find their sea legs. It's just kind of a question for both of them of will they have the command to be able to do it? They're still ironing that out, but both have tremendous stuff if they can get the command ironed out. Did I see some tendonitis for Ethan Small? I think he, uh, did he leave a start or skip a start? Uh, I yes, that. That did happen. Um, you are correct, JR. Um, yeah, he did have to, he, he was pulled from a start with, uh, something as of yet undiagnosed or uh, mm-hmm. diagnosed so yeah that there are some okay. questions about ethan small at the moment i i heard i did hear they were likely not too severe but worth keeping an eye on well and they are again they're very careful about pitching management and if you think about their success rate in terms of keeping guys away from uh well who's the who's the guy now dr neil elitrosh is the guy who does all the the tommy john surgeries so they've been pretty good about keeping guys away from that and just managing pitcher health in general. So, and a lot of that is they just, they're proactive about things. And before problems really uh, worsen, they take yeah. a guy and sit him down and let him rest. What is Corey Ray's speed tool? Is he, a, he's pretty, is he fast? Fast ish. He's not a blazer. Okay. okay. 
So I'm trying to find like that guy that you bring up. Mel, the Mel Stalker is the famous example, like, <laughs> but the uh, the pinch runner type. I mean, honestly, they they barely have that guy right now. That in terms of prospect, I mean, I'm sure they could find a burner somewhere. But like, yeah. you know, Mario Feliciano, you could see as a third catcher at points here. You know, maybe in September or maybe just whenever one of the two guys gets hurt, if that happens. But um, he's been hurt. There's like, yeah, he's been hurt too. So like, I don't know if there's anybody outside of Ashby and small. I mean, this is part of the, the the problem with the trade deadline for the Brewers is they don't have guys out. They don't have guys. They can just give up that are major league ready. If, te- if teams want me, and obviously that's not the whole picture with trade deadline stuff, but they just don't have a lot of major league ready guys in the minors right now. That is true. They really do not. Um, but I, I agree. It's likely to be small in Ashby when, when push comes to shove and everybody else you kind of have seen play on the team. So it's good to know guys like Tyrone Taylor and Jason whatnot can contribute, but um, yeah, the, the minors are not going to contribute a ton down the stretch, but you know, there's those two guys at least. Um, question from uh, GUI, also known as Pastor Goober. Should I name my next child after Willie Adamas? I'm thinking yes. And I mean, yes, you absolutely should do that. Um, he, yeah. He's it's well deserved. Um, uh, any disagreement? Uh, I think everybody should name their kid that. So a lot of options there. You could go William Adam or Adam yeah. William or Willie or Bill. If you're into Bill, like there's a lot of opportunity here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, this is just a good place for me to once again remind people because I think I've brought this up on the podcast before that uh, Steve's father lost the uh, battle with his wife to name Steve Sixto for Sixto Lascano. So we could have had uh, Sixto Garshinsky as the uh, original host of the show, but uh, his dad lost that. So uh, this one all comes down to uh, whatever you can convince your partner to go with. That's uh, that's the way to play it. Sixto Garshinsky is a name that needs to exist in the world. Yeah, it's really a shame that happened. Mm-hmm. Sorry, poor Steve. <laughs> that stuck with Steve. All right. Um, Chris Nielsen uh, asks uh, a Ryan specific question. Now that it's revealed that Ryan plays out of the park baseball, I just want to hear 10 minutes. No, not enough time for that. Um, let's make it one minute on how he plays. GM or manager, real life leagues are fictional. Sim each day or do longer. Just what? how do you play OTP, Ryan? Uh, I play both GM and manager. Uh, real life leagues, I've so far, I've only ever managed the Brewers and I take over the team in the moment that I get it, get the, the patch in and then go from there. And then do what I want to do as far as managing the Brewers down the road and keeping all the uh, the the transactions and all that stuff in line. One thing I've noticed about it is playing the Brewers. Mark Atanasio always, as far as I've ever had it, always ends up upping the payroll to like two hundred and fifty million within like six seven years. Uh, so that would be nice if Mark, if you if you're listening and you want to start upping the payroll like that, like they they do on my stupid little game. Uh, I think David would appreciate that. That would be awesome. So uh, I I generally like to, the deeper into each uh, sim I go, the more I'm just there to do the offseason and then kind of rush through the season to uh, get to the offseason to do all the transactions and things that come with that. So that gets to be more of the fun part. But that's more as you get into like 2026, 27, further down the road. Uh, I'll start doing that. All right. Um, well, that is um, all she wrote for this one. That's the last question we had. Uh, JR, thank you very much for joining us and filling in for James. And uh, we'll have to do football sometime soon after, of course, 
after the good sports end here. Um, yes, yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm up for that. Let's do that. Sweet. Let's do that. Ryan, any new patrons this week? We do, actually. We have uh, Brad Steinberg. Or, sorry, Brady, not Brad. Brady right. Steinberg. I think that's a new record for messing up a name. Yeah, for being <laughs> as easy as that one is, like, I don't know how I screwed that up, but eh, that's uh, that's what people pay for is to get me to screw up their names on the podcast. I, so. I did have someone this week when I called in a food order ask me to spell my first name. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that takes a kick. That has not happened to me before. I've right. heard of stories where it happens to people who have. I think pretty understandably how to spell names when you say them out loud, but you never know. And uh, yeah, All right, maybe Jared. they thought I said yeah, they thought I said Jair or something. But like I articulate it. I mean, that's the thing with with a name like mine. I do articulate it to make it clear. Hi, okay, so my name is J R. Can you spell that, please? Mm, <laughs> I can. <laughs> what again? Would you like me to? <laughs> yeah, it's like no, no. J R is my name. That's it. The two letters will do. But yeah. All right. And and before we finally wrap things up, I did want to point out we do have a, a new five star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, I am pledged to read all of them, regardless of what they say. So um, thank you, MCX1110, um, who wrote, <laughs> wrote Brewers Talk. Great Brewers Talk. I enjoy the jokes about Cubs fans. And I do too, MCX1110. Um, <laughs> As always, if you leave a five-star review and only a five-star review, I'll read it on the podcast. So please keep them coming. It does help us move up the charts on the baseball rankings and get this thing listened to by more people. So um, that'll wrap things up for this week. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Casts, or anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review, especially on Apple, to help other people find us. We'll be back next week. In the meantime... Stay well. We'll see you next time on Milwaukee's Tailgate.